Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Good morning. My name's Rich, and yes, I'm uh, from Australia. I'm not from around here, but it's good to live here now in Manchester. We're speaking uh, today, we're, we're hearing from John chapter 10, as Mike said. Uh, last week he spoke about Jesus being a good shepherd and we're going to expand on a few details about that. Uh, my family just came back from Scotland uh, a week ago on holiday and they just put up a picture there of the beautiful Loch Tay. This is near where we stayed. Great holiday. Everyone told us that we would love Scotland. We weren't disappointed at all. It was almost idyllic and we had really good weather and great time as a family and there were no deadlines to meet and life was really good. Life was good in Scotland. It always seems, doesn't it, like those places we go on holiday, there's never no, no, no stress and no problems and that's what life should be like. And we know that life can't always be like this and there's a time to come back home from holiday and there's greater purposes to be living for. And so the last few days I've been thinking about this idea of being satisfied. What does it actually mean to live a full life and a satisfied life even on busy days? even on stressful days and bad hair days or the bald equivalent of bad hair days, what does it look like to be satisfied and to live a full life? None of us want to be miserable, do we? We all want to be happy. We all want to live a full life. Are you experiencing life to the full? Would you say that you are experiencing a full life? Are you satisfied? Are you deeply happy? Richard Branson says this, my philosophy is that you only live once, live life to its fullest. That's fair enough advice from Richard Branson. The question is, what does a full life look like? If you're not a multimillionaire, what does a full life look like? How do we get it? Today we're going to find out how we can live life to the full. What would you say are the ingredients of a full life? We're told lots of things about what the ingredients of a full life are. Maybe it's about having plenty of money. Is it about money? Ty Lopez is a young man who once slept, was sleeping on a couch, now he's driving Lamborghinis and he has 67 ways that you can experience a full life, be a millionaire, get the job you want, the wife or husband. Is it about money, having the freedom to do the things you want to do? Is it about being healthy? Is it about having the right car? Renault says that they have a passion for life. I drive a Renault. Not sure of the relationship, but uh, Renault has a passion for life. Is it about entertainment? Is it about uh, having a PlayStation or all the gimmicks? PlayStation's uh, slogan formerly was, this is living. We (laughs) know that there are other brands like LG, life's good. The idea is that technology and all the mod cons can bring us a good life. What about retirement? Is the goal of a happy life to have sometime in the latest stages of our life where we can just take it easy and have all the good things. Maybe it's to find out in the lifestyle section of this website or magazine how to live a full life in retirement. Is that how we see living a good life? The general idea is a combination, I think, of these things. Good health, uh, rich relationships, having enough money to do the things that we want to pursue our dreams and desires. But there's a niggling suspicion, isn't there, that even when you have those things, even when we see other people having those things, that something's deeply missing, that actually you can have those things and still not be satisfied, that there's something deeply missing. 
from the equation. In fact, sometimes the more you have of these things, the emptier life becomes. You know, not far north of where I used to live in Brisbane, Australia, is a place called the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. It's a beautiful place. It's a stretch of towns along a lovely beach, and it's where people go to retire. It's where people go to have lifestyle, uh, to surf, great beaches, clean. Now, it's, uh, health experts over the last few years have been concerned and baffled by this fact that in the Sunshine Coast, the, the suicide rates are 40% higher than anywhere else in Australia. Why is this? Even amongst people who have a lot of money and are, are retired. So what's, what's the issue here? Maybe this idea of a full life is an impossible dream. Maybe it's just unattainable. What does Jesus have to say about a full life? Have a look at verse 10, if you've got your Bible open. I'll put it up on the screen. And Jesus actually has something to say about living a full life. He says, I have come that they, that's my sheep, my people, the ones who follow me, trust me, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, an abundant life, he says, deeply satisfying life. Actually, Jesus doesn't oppose the idea that we want to be happy. He doesn't sort of shut down that desire. He actually affirms it. He actually champions our desire to be happy. And he says he's actually come for that very reason. So we're going to look at his words in a bit more context and just pull out four important observations. That's what we're going to do this morning. So I'll just read out verses 7 to 11. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And so we're just going to make a few observations here, really basic observations. One is that we need saving. And you can see that in verse 9. We need rescuing. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. What do we need saving from? What is this rescue that we need? Well, what is it? Whatever's going to dest- what's going to destroy a happy, a full life? It's whatever destroys life and whatever empties life of its fullness. Now, Jesus actually comes to defeat the two mortal enemies of a full life. That being death, which ends life, and sin, which actually empties life of all of its joy. So think about death itself. However people might suggest that we want to live a full life, in the end, death comes to us all, doesn't it? Maybe we don't want to think about that, but in a handful of decades, or maybe a few more, all of us, including Richard Branson and Ty Lopez that we talked about before, all of us are going to die. And so the idea of a full life seems to have a short span. And Jesus, amazingly, actually offers us rescue from death. And the other enemy to a full life is sin. Now, sin brings misery and emptiness to life. It's the reason we can have everything and be dissatisfied. It's the reason why relationships in our world are broken. It's the reason for wars and famines and selfishness and and bitterness and poverty. It makes us self-centered. It actually makes us turn in on ourselves and destroys our joy. Now, Jesus came to save us from both sin 
and death. And when you look at the web uh, about all the ways that people suggest we live a full life, you won't see much about sin and death and how to defeat those. But Jesus is all about these. We need rescue from sin and death. So that's the first thing. If we're going to live life to the full, we've got to have rescue from sin and death. Second point is that Jesus laid his life down so we could have life to the full. You can tell what someone is committed to by what they lay down for it. Uh, in my earlier days as, as a single man, I, uh, earlier days of a, as a working single man, I poured an enormous amounts of money into my cricket kit. I paid a lot of money for my cricket bat. I'm amazed at actually fishermen. If you think about what a fisherman who's... Pers- uh, any fisherman here, but if you're passionate about fishing, you'll go to great lengths. You'll get a boat. And you think about the economic sort of uh, cost of all the things you need to fish compared to the sort of what you gain from it in terms of the fish, it's pretty expensive. You've got to be committed to fishing. Now, the God of the Bible is deeply committed to our life and happiness, so committed that he pays the biggest price to gain it. Have a look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So Jesus is so committed to our happiness that he would lay his life down to make it possible. You know, Jesus' death on the cross wasn't an accident. It wasn't unintentional. He predicted it again and again. That's why he came. He said, I've come to seek and save. He came to go to the cross. Now, what happened on the cross? Jesus actually died as a substitute. He died as a perfect sin offering. So if you trust in him, he actually takes on the penalty for sin himself and gives you the credit of his perfect life. He makes a swap with you, if you trust in him, so that your sin and death are dealt with. And actually, he didn't stay in the grave. He actually says, if you look at verse 17 of this chapter, which we read last week, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. He knew he was going to die, and he knew he had power and authority over death. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He's able to defeat death on our behalf. So Jesus promises something much better in terms of a full life than all the websites do or whatever self-help books because he promises full life in eternity, full life in quality and quantity. And he says in verse 27, I give them eternal life. That's what he came to do. So third point, third observation from the passage, very simple, is that God is good. Jesus is good. Now, what does that mean? Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. What does Jesus mean when he says he's good? That's an ambiguous term, isn't it? It means all kinds of things. We've seen that Jesus is committed to our good. We know growing up that we, there are some things we don't like, but they're good for us, like veggies. When your parents say, eat your veggies, they're good for us. But things can be good for other reasons. Jesus is committed to doing us good, but he's good for other reasons. And an example of this is the Krispy Kreme donut. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of seeing a Krispy Kreme donut factory, but it's a sight to behold. And you see, my second favourite thing about a Krispy Kreme factory is the waterfall of glaze that the donuts pass through. It's a magnificent thing where all these donuts pass through unglazed and come out the other side glazed. My favourite thing is eating one straight off the conveyor belt. If you've ever done that, you will say, probably, that is really, really good. Now, things can be good for different reasons than being good for you. They can be a delight. And 
Krispy Kreme donuts are a delight to eat. Now, Jesus says he's good. The Bible says God is good. It means that in the fullest sense, he's good for us, but he's also in himself a delight. He is our satisfaction and our joy. God himself is where we find fullness of life. So it's not really, God's not saying, I'll just give you these things and you'll be happy. God actually, Jesus offers himself to you. And that is actually the source of our greatest satisfaction. Think about it, it's logical. If God made us to have relationship with him, and everything good comes from him, all the things you enjoy the most in this world come from him, then actually... The source of those things is relationship with him and that's where you'll find your greatest delight. That's what he made us for. That's why true joy and true happiness can come to people who have no money, who have cancer and who are alone because Jesus offers us joy in himself, satisfaction in himself apart from what we have. You can live life to the full without all that stuff because Jesus is where we find satisfaction, relationship with God. In the Lord of the Rings story, big, I'm a big fan of Tolkien, and uh, Frodo and Sam set off on their quest, and they're given this elvish bread, this lembus bread, and they're told that actually the less you eat of other stuff and the more you eat of this, the more it will sustain you. You know, one bite of this will keep you fed for a day, but the less of other stuff you eat, the more it satisfies you. And that's actually true of a relationship with Jesus. Actually, the less you have of other things, the more you realize he's where you find joy. He's where you find satisfaction. That Jesus offers life to the full, not with money, with health, or with wealth. Though he may give you those things, but he may not, but he offers it in himself, in relationship with God. You might have heard of the words of Psalm 23. Now, with this John 10 is all about Jesus being the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous psalm. You've probably heard it read many times or at church or at funerals or even sung of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, makes, he does all kinds of good things for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he, he leads me to quiet waters. He restores my soul. But then actually it says, the writer says, he, has, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death and he has enemies. So life's not perfect for David as he writes this psalm. But he still says, my cup overflows. And I'll just put up verse 6 here. What is the ultimate satisfaction that David finds as he, he writes this psalm? He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is it that David finds the greatest satisfaction? It's in relationship with God himself. It's not in the stuff he brings. It's not in the perfect life on this world. It's in relationship with God himself. Now, I'm not sure what you think about that. Maybe the idea of relationship with God doesn't seem all that exciting or satisfying. Maybe that doesn't seem all that appealing. For many, the idea of God uh, is God, God is an enemy of happiness and joy. You might remember, maybe you've seen the buses of the atheist bus campaign here in England. I heard about them. There's probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy your life. So the idea is that for many, if God exists at all, he, he's going to be an enemy of your happiness, an enemy of your enjoyment. You know... I wonder if you're inclined to think that way about God. That he seems to stand between you and your happiness and your joy. God might seem gloomy and unloving and indifferent to your happiness. Actually, when you look closely at the Bible, you see something quite different. You see something very different. 
I don't know if you've ever explored underground caverns, but the entrance is often very unimpressive and well-trodden. But when you go in and the, the caverns open up and you see the light shone on them, they're gloriously beautiful places to see. Now, it, the, the God of the Bible is like that. Maybe at the entry level, it doesn't seem all that exciting, but when you explore the character of the God in the Bible, you don't see a God who's gloomy and dissatisfied and against your happiness. You see the very opposite. And it says in John chapter 1, in, talking of Jesus, in him was life, and he came to give you that life. Just We're going to put up here John 17, 13, and Jesus says this, he says, and he says it in other places in, in the book of John as well. He says, I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So in God is inexhaustible happiness, and he wants to impart that to you by giving you himself. He's actually the happiest of beings, and he wants to give that to you. Now, that's why the, the gospel, the Bible, is called good news. The gospel means good news. Now, why is it that God often appears gloomy or dull? It's because people take the good news and make it look like bad news. They take the good news of relationship with God through Jesus and make it into a man-made kind of religion, a rule-based religion. Hence our fourth observation and our last observation, and that is that we need to beware of thieves and robbers that will rob us of life to the full. Have a look at verses 8 and 10. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus actually offers something very different to these thieves and, and robbers. What are these thieves and robbers he talks about? They're the counterfeit offers of life that we get. People and, and messages that offer a counterfeit me, uh, idea of where we can find life. Think about these things. None of them really are bad in themselves. All of them are, are okay in themselves. Money, health, relationships, possessions, sex, entertainment. None of them are bad. All of them are part of life. But actually, when we invest our life and our joy in those, they, they're deeply dissatisfying. We find that they rob us of joy and life. They're imposters. So on the one hand, you've got pursuing your pleasure in things of this world, which doesn't satisfy. They're thieves and robbers. Another one, on the other hand, is man-made religion, empty religion. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, even people who go to church every week, very sad that you hear this message that Christianity is about obeying the Ten Commandments. Now, if that was the case, Jesus didn't have to come at all. And actually, the idea of obeying the Ten Commandments isn't good news because I've broken each one of those countless times. And Mike read out before, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the summary of the law in the Bible. And I look at that and I think I've broken that rule every day, countless times, and I will continue to do so. So actually, if you tell me Christianity is about obeying rules, then that's bad news because I've got not much hope. The good news of Christianity is that we've got a saviour who actually did it for us. He obeyed, Jesus obeyed the rules for us so we can have a relationship with God. Now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here. And look at verse 1. You can see that Jesus is actually directly speaking to these Pharisees who are peddlers of a man-made religion. They're all about rules. They're all about trying to get to God and please God by what they do. They're all about externals. They're all about putting on a show of being pious and religious, but actually their hearts are empty 
with love for God. And he says, Truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. So he's speaking, challenging these Pharisees about their man-made religion. And he actually says elsewhere, You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. So we need to beware of man-made religion and false religion that actually robs us of life and joy. That's not what Christianity is about. It's actually not like other religions at all. It's not about being a good person or following a set of moral rules or cleaning up your life. It's about coming to Jesus and having your sin and death dealt with by him and coming into relationship with him. Now, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you're sitting here today and you're walking with Jesus and you follow him, then you need to beware of moving from the good news into obeying, following a kind of Christianity that's a false one. It's about, actually, it's about obeying rules. And so we need to be careful of just evaluating our relationship with God based on how much we read the Bible, how much we're serving on the road to, or how much we're giving or praying, or how temperate and sensible we are. All these ways are just religious ways, and they rob us of joy. When we come to Jesus, we're loved and forgiven, and that frees us from all kinds of comparison and judgmentalism and guilt. And so we're just going to close now with these words again. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have you come to Jesus for life? Maybe you've been living long enough to realize these other things don't satisfy you. And so why not come to Jesus for life? Come and try and see and prove him true by trusting in him and following him. The really good news is that the God of the Bible is fiercely committed to your joy. He's fiercely committed to your happiness if you will trust him and let him shepherd you and let him lead you and follow his commands. Put your trust in Jesus. And if you do follow Jesus, then I would say embrace the reality of God's character that he's good Trust him, even when life doesn't seem that way, even when life is difficult. The Bible says that he works all things for good to those who love him. He loves you deeply. Trust him as your shepherd to lead you to joy. And remember that your highest joy, the end of your quest, isn't what God gives you. It's in God himself. Pursue him. Get to know him and find fullness of life in him through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Thank you for giving us a shepherd uh, who is committed to us having life. Lord, we know that uh, we didn't earn that. We don't deserve your love and your kindness to us. But you've poured it out on us and you've you've paid the biggest price. Um, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross that we might have life. You are passionate about us having joy. You want the full measure of your joy to be in us. We praise you for that. Forgive us for seeking our joy and our uh, full life in all these other things that rob us and don't satisfy us. Forgive us for being very foolish and wandering off uh, into all other ways. We pray that we would trust you. We pray that we would uh, believe your words and and follow you, uh, knowing that you have won for us eternal life. Lord, thank you for making that possible. Thanks for freeing us from uh, rules, earning our way to you, which we can't do. Uh, Thank you that you've made the way for us. Thank you that you're a good shepherd. Help us to trust you through the valleys of this life, um, through uh, those times when things seem against us. We know you're with us. Pray for uh, little Iris as well and ask, Lord, that she would walk with you and know you 
as her good shepherd that she might find eternal life and joy in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.